Habits of a healthy marriage. Habits of a healthy marriage. We're going to look in Proverbs 20, and I'll read that in just a minute. Um, I'm so thankful for all that we've been through together through this marriage series, this family series, this kingdom family. I'm thankful that although every sermon was not 100% applicable to you, in every sermon there was something applicable to all of us. I'm so grateful that the Lord has led us to this topic. And I hope and I believe um, that you have learned much as I have learned much. And I want to finalize our summer series and cap off our marriage conference by speaking on a topic that we uh, discussed relatively extensively this weekend. That is creating goals and then developing habits for a healthy marriage. And I know that you feel like I'm just saying this to include single people and people who are not married, but I'm not. Here's what I'm saying, and it's true. Developing healthy goals and developing habits to keep those goals will make you a successful person in life to the glory of the Lord. So any stage of life, single, childhood, teenage years, adulthood that's single, marriage life, college life, widow, widower, um, um, divorce, whatever stage of life you're in, developing healthy habits, or developing goal, or forming goals and the developing healthy habits to meet those goals will help you extend success, will help you spread success throughout all of your life. Often in marriage and often in our goal setting, we shoot from the hip. Often we just do what we were taught growing up. And sometimes that's a good thing. And how many times is it a bad thing? In the way we handle conflict, in the way we speak to each other, in the way we discipline. Often we just shoot from the hip. And then we wonder when there's so much confusion and chaos in our relationships, we wonder where it comes from. In marriage at times, it's like playing darts with a twist. I'm throwing darts, and I'm throwing darts, and I'm throwing darts, and I'm like, you know, I got, I'm really good at this dart game because when I get done throwing the darts, what I do is I go and I draw a big circle around where I threw them. And then where the cluster of darts are that I threw, I draw a smaller circle. Just, and I can say, bullseye! Because the, the truth is, friends, when you have no set goals and no habits to meet those goals, anything is the target. Anything is the target. There is no standard for which we can measure success. There is no standard for which we can measure an upward trajectory. It's like throwing darts at a wall and then drawing the target after. I have another example that's a, a lot more fun for me. Um, a few weeks back, Daniel and Joe and I, uh, Daniel took me to watch the Cardinals beat the Braves. It was the, he's a Braves fan. It was so sweet of him to do that. But, uh, but Daniel and Joe and I went to St. Louis to watch the Braves and the Cardinals game. And in that time, we also went to this place called Top Golf. And Top Golf is like if you don't if you like the idea of golf but you're not good at golf, Top Golf is your place. It's like the castle of mediocrity. Because what you can do, 
what you can do is you can get on the third row. You don't even have to hit the ball high or far or hard. Well, you kind of hit it hard. But you get on the third deck. There's three stories. And then out in the field, there are these targets everywhere. And your ball has a little chip in it. And when you hit it in the target, it registers points for you. It's a really neat concept. But the thing that happened... And, and Daniel, I think Joe will admit this. The thing that happened more often than not is we would get up there and just whack the ball and it would go aimlessly somewhere and then take some crazy bounce and fall right into the target and we'd walk back to each other like, you know, I meant to do that. I meant to do that. So often, friends, we treat our marriage like top golf, where we just tee it up and just hit it as hard as we can. If we just put enough effort and passion and the right face and the right stance and, and the right want to, then, then, uh, then surely we'll hit a goal. Surely we'll hit a target. We work. We box. The Bible uses that terminology. That's why I said box. Aimlessly. We shoot from the hip and there's chaos and confusion everywhere. Now the reason that we are aimless in our marriage is not because we are dumb. Or because, or even any in other relationships also. It's not because we're dumb or because we're intentionally bad people. Not intentionally bad people. The reason we are aimless is because we don't set goals and then form habits in our life that will send us along the right path. So we end up on the path of desperation. We end up on a path that seems like it's to nowhere, where no victory is in sight. And even if we trust the Lord in our lives, it's so difficult. It's so difficult to get us to where He wants us to be if we have no goals and habits that lead us to believe we can get there. Even if we trust the Lord. So we run aimlessly. We give up. Or often, and this is very popular in our culture, we start over with someone else thinking, well, you know what? If this game didn't work, I'll just put a new game in and start that one. Often our marriage is like a video game. When we face trials or dull moments, when we haven't given effort, we need a new start. And there's a cool thing about video games, if you have any experience in those, and I'm not going to use the right terminology because it's been a minute since I've really put time into a game, but, but there are these save points along the campaign modes of video games. So you don't have to, when you die in the game, start over from scratch. Marriage is a place... That should be safe. A place where we are building these little checkpoints. These little safe points in our life. That we can build up and then sometimes when things go badly, we can revert back to those safe points. And start from there. As opposed to start from, from the beginning. As a matter of fact, every fight in your marriage should be from a safe point and not from the beginning. Do you understand? Every fight in your marriage should be from a save point and not starting back with, well, this is what you did when we first met. Remember that date that you did this? Every fight should start with the consideration of the equity that that person has been building up in your relationships over the last few years. But here's the thing about save points. 
I have thrown one or a few controllers at the wall because I've been back at the save point too many times. Friends, here's the problem with save points. They're beautiful if you plan on progressing. But if you can't progress, the problem with the save point is you start in front of the same dang wall or you start with the same guy trying to kill you, you know, in the, in the video game. You start in the same area and it puts you back, it puts you back into that position of frustration, into that position of never believing that you will get past that point. A feeling that it would be better to give up than even try from where you are. But we cannot give up, friends. We cannot give up. We cannot allow our selfishness, our personal desires outside of our marriage, or our feelings of the flesh to allow us to give up. We must learn and relearn to strive together for the glory of the Lord, for the sake of our families, and for the sake of those who need Jesus. Marriage is about committing to and following through on something much bigger than you. Something larger than just your wants and your needs. And the results when we commit to this, when we are committing to forming goals and developing habits, is a commitment that is unsurpassed in all of our culture. Good habits, friends, though, they don't just happen overnight. It takes a concerted effort. So before we even move into the bulk of the sermon, I want to give you a few ideas on forming or developing good habits to reach your goals. And if you were here yesterday, you heard part of this. But from what I've read and from what I've seen, I think there are four really important basic steps that you take to forming habits that meet your goals. And if you, don't, if, you wrote, if you wrote this down yesterday, that's fine. This is not just marital goals. These are goals, uh, habits that you form to reach goals in general. The first, if you missed this yesterday, it's very important. Because you can't just say, I have a goal. I'm going to do this as a habit. You need to really form these around this idea. The first is a definitive start date of that habit. This is when I'm going to start doing this. The second is a regular frequency. I'm going to do this every day. The third is a time trigger. I'm going to do this at this time every day. And then the fourth is a streak target. I'm going to do this at this time every day for two months. And the streak target seems it's more, it's more than just a, for a point of celebration. Here's what you need to know. This is not just cliche. This is, this is not fake news. You need to hear this. Streaks of doing well in your habit forming can produce long-term successful goal, uh, goal reaching. I said that all kinds of backwards, but I think you understood. If you continue on in a habit, it becomes a lifestyle. And if you continue on that lifestyle, you are almost determined to reach your goal. It said it takes six to eight weeks to make a habit a lifestyle. And that's why streaks are so important. When someone tells me they've done something for a few days, I'm like, good, get back with me in a few more days. And they tell me they've done something a few weeks, I say, good, get back with me in a few more weeks. We become believable when we set goals, form habits, and keep up with them. So typically, 
If you're trying to form a streak, I would say you should say, I'm not going to do anything less than six to eight weeks. And maybe it becomes a lifestyle at that point. And maybe you start reaching goals or you get, you're able to even set higher goals for your relationships. If we want to be faithful people, we just can't run or punch aimlessly. We can't throw the darts and draw the target later. We can't worm burn one like at Top Golf and then have it just roll into the hole, roll into the target and say, well, that's what I was trying to do anyway. Good goals and habits make us faithful and God-honoring people. We need to be faithful to our word. We need to be faithful to our commitments. When I was thinking about being faithful to our commitments and to our word, I thought about the two verses in Proverbs 20, 6-7. And there are plenty more in Proverbs and other books of these uh, of the Bible, but especially in Proverbs and especially in the in the Gospels. But these two verses stru- uh, stuck out to me, Proverbs twenty verses six and seven. And I hope that you're able to feel what is being said here. You're able to relate to it, and you're able to be convicted by it and changed by it. Proverbs twenty six and seven. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love. But a faithful man, who can find? The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Would you pray with me for us today? God, I pray that amongst the people in here, that faithful men and women would rise up, develop good goals, form good habits, and be faithful to the relationships that we have in our life. That we would be God-honoring. That our children would have something to look at and say, I am blessed to have been a part of this person's life. I am blessed to have been a part of this family. God, would you teach us, would you train us to not just box aimlessly as, we're, as if we're just beating the air. Not just throw darts at a dartboard and draw the target later, but to have goals and habits for your glory and your glory alone. And then the Bible says that all of these things will be added unto us. We praise you. We honor you. Lord, I hope you're honored by today. Amen. These two verses at a glance don't seem like uh, much to go on for what we're trying to do today, but they are rich in their own way. What we see here is that love, commitment, and integrity are all intertwined and are invaluable to the success of your future. Love, commitment, and integrity are all intertwined and invaluable to the success of your future. And that in order to make a generational impact, we must make goals and develop habits that will ultimately Spur generational change. I want to pull three thoughts out of Proverbs 20 today that will help us in following through in our marriages and in most of the relationships that we have. I'm going to pull three thoughts out. It's going to be sort of done in a Bryce way, not in a preacher Bryce sort of way. So um, it'll be sort of, you know, my dialect and the way I talk. The first is this. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. That's the first thing that we see from Proverbs 20. 
I will tell you that for a person who is inclined to be more cynical, this idea of trusting people who tell you things and then don't follow through is the hardest for me. It's difficult for me because, and you may have been the person that said this to me, I don't mean this to you personally, but when I counsel you or anyone else who says they want to do something, the Spirit of God in me prevents me from saying, talk is cheap or walk the walk. But honestly, this is what Proverbs 20 is saying. Proverbs 20 is saying, talk is cheap. Look at verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love. Many people say that they love. Many people say that they want to do what's right. Many people say that they want to honor God. Many a man, many a person proclaims his steadfast love. We see this often in a new or the start of a new relationship. Listen, I don't want to make my children cynical, but I will tell my girls the truth, and that is that a young boy will say anything to get her to do what he wants her to do. That is just the simple truth. I don't want to make my daughter cynical. I want them to trust men. But oftentimes boys will say anything to get to secure the love of their life. Solomon said in Proverbs something like this. In all of my wisdom that I have, I can't possibly comprehend the way of a young man who is pursuing the love of a young woman. I have all the wisdom in the world. You know, Solomon was one of the wisest men we know, and he still said, I can't comprehend the way of a young man pursuing the love of a young woman. Many boast of their love. Many boast of their commitment. And what they will do with it, with just a little bit of trust, is astounding. This proclamation of love is often used in hurtful ways. This proclamation of love is used to fulfill sexual desires, to end debates or fights, to extend marriage as long as possible while you try to figure out a way to to make it work, to try to buy a little bit more time with your children to, to which this point you've had nothing or little to do with. Many people will proclaim their love, but friends, talk is cheap. Boasting of love, boasting of care, boasting of concern, and not following through with it is one of the most satanic actions that you can take. Think about it. What was the temptation in the garden? They were empty promises that were never kept. And as soon as Adam and Eve laid their head on the serpent, all was on the shoulder of the serpent, all was lost. What did, Satan, what did Satan tempt Jesus with in the wilderness? Empty promises that could never be kept. And how often do we get caught up with giving empty promises that we will, maybe we intend to keep, but that we will likely never keep? We say what our spouse wants to hear to appease them, to end discussion, or maybe because we really want to do better. But friends, talk is cheap. And if we truly love our spouse or any other relationship in which we make promises, then we will keep the promises that we make. Cheap talk destroys relationships. Cheap, cheap, excuse me, cheap talk destroys relationships. I can think of three ways. One way it destroys relationships is it gives the cheap talker a false sense of peace. 
When you say, I'm going to do this because I love you, I love you, I want to I improve, I want to get better, and you don't follow it up, at least for a moment you feel like, I'm on the right path. You know, there's peace. She's satisfied. I'm doing the right thing. What you are doing is just deferring war, not keeping peace. Cheap talk destroys relationships. In your mind, you think, I've maintained the peace. I've kept the peace. But what you've done is you've just deferred conflict. It gives the cheap talker a false sense of peace. It destroys trust in the situation. So your husband, if you tend to be the appeaser of your wife, if you tend to be the person that just says what will end conflict, what ends up happening is your wife will either believe you aimlessly or believe you regardless, or she will stop believing you at all. And then it harms our general integrity. When we start lying and disrespecting our spouse in this way, our most important neighbor, our closest friend, what is to keep us from being a person with no integrity in every other relationship that we don't care nearly as much about. When we start lying and deceiving the people that we love the most, our closest friend, what is to keep us from our general integrity corroding in everything else? Friends, we must choose truth. We must choose Right. This is not just wanting to do the right thing or wanting to be trustworthy, but actually being trustworthy. This behavior is true of everyone, but I have a better understanding of a relationship between a husband and a wife, so or a husband to a wife. So I will say this. Husband, your wife would rather you tell her the truth. If she's a godly woman pursuing the Lord, she would rather you tell her the truth and hurt her in a moment than lie and break her long term. She would rather you talk through the truth in the moment and hurt her for a moment, not by being a jerk, hurt her with words that she needs to hear. Now remember, this is similar in, for a godly husband. I'm just, I relate better with the relationship from a husband to a wife, so that's why I'm using this example. She would rather you hurt her in the moment than lie and break her long term. Now this is true in really any Christian relationship, friends. Talk is cheap. Action is required. Whereas deception to people, especially those that we love, is one of the most satanic things we can do. Friends, listen to this. There is hope. Faithfulness to our word is one of the most Christ-like things we can do. Faithfulness is what counts. Not talk. Many have said they love. Many have proclaimed their steadfast love. Talk is cheap. Faithfulness is what counts. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love. But what? But a man, but a faithful man, who can find? Now all the women in here have said, amen, right? A faithful man, who can find? It's not saying you can search the whole world over and you can't find a faithful man. Here's what it's saying. There, and this is like Proverbs 31. You've heard it, a good wife who can find. It's not saying you search the whole world and you can't find a good wife. Here's what it's saying. This, friends, is the gold mine. 
Gold mine, not mind. Gold mine. There we go. It is the gold mine. It is the treasure. It is the thing you long for and search for. And in a culture that doesn't pursue truthfulness, it is often like a buried treasure or something that you have to mine out of the ground. So the question here isn't, are there faithful men? Are there faithful people? The question is, is there anything more important to a marriage, to a friendship, to any relationship than a faithful person? It isn't that faithfulness is out of a Christian's ability. It is that faithfulness is one of the most desired traits of any relationship. So when it is found, it is to be nurtured. It is to be pulled in tightly and appreciated. It is to be reciprocated. It is to be given back. It's like striking gold. It has to be mined. And it has to be run through the trommel. And it has to be put through the refiner's fire to get that pure brick of gold. Faithfulness and truthfulness must be sought after. They are two of the most redeeming qualities of any relationship. If these qualities are so important, then you would think that they would come more naturally, but it just isn't the case, right? Faithfulness and truthfulness, they don't come naturally to us. So we spend much of our, uh, so we spent much of our weekend this weekend talking about making goals and forming habits to reach these goals. Because the truth is, friends, often the difference between a faithful person and an unfaithful person, a person that keeps his word and a person that doesn't, is not found in resolve, or desire, or passion, or being better equipped, or being smarter than the next person. It is found in our willingness to set goals and form habits and keep up with those things. If we have no true goal for marriage, we will almost definitely spin our wheels at times or even often. When we set no goals for our marriage, for our relationships, we almost exclusively practice bad Habits. You will develop habits. When we set no godly, God-honoring goals, we almost will exclusively set bad habits. We don't have a goal for our, what our, should, uh, what our uh, time should look like. So um, most of us are always on a different page as far as our schedule goes. We don't have a goal to be selfless so the needs of our spouse go unmet. We don't have goals for quality times, for intimacy or deep connection. So we let anger and resentment build up as we give our intimacy and time to an electronic device or to another human. We don't have goals to solve conflict, so we fight unfairly and we build resentment to each other. We don't have goals for stress, to handle stress, sexual intimacy, finances, for properly loving or respecting each other. We box aimlessly, without purpose, and we look at our marriage and we say, I don't know what went wrong. And every once in a while we luck up and we just grip and rip, as you say it, on a golf course, if you're not good at golf like me, you just say, you grip and rip, and every once in a while you luck out and you hit a good ball, and you think, oh, well, I must have done something right. No, you got lucky. <laughs> Success in this type of marriage, this type of relationship, is often an anomaly more than it is the norm. And we can boldly proclaim our love and our commitment to our spouse, and our actions can show disinterest and apathy and chaos. 
If we don't have a marriage, a marital, a spiritual, a family, personal, if we don't have these goals in place, and if we aren't working to form habits to accomplish these goals, you are essentially saying that I give my marriage up to fate. I give my relationship, my marriage up to happenstance. Can I also say something really transparent and really real? Just in case you have thought that I haven't been that way to this point. In what other area of life are you able to go about and consistently be successful with no goals, with no habits, with no standard of practices? What area of life can you do that? And if I asked you before this weekend to name your mission statement for your marriage... None of you would have one, including my family. If I ask you to name one or two or three goals and the habits that you're taking them to improve your relationships, hardly any of you would be able to do that before this weekend. And we still think we're doing something right in our marriage. And we are doing things right, but, you know, we sort of give ourselves a little bit too much credit because we gripped and ripped and it just happened to go into the target. What other areas of your life where you have zero to little goals, zero to little timelines, zero to little habits, and you can say, this is a growing and successful area of my life. So in marriage, we must find manageable goals. And work every day to the glory of the Lord and for the love of our spouse to reach them. We make goals and we keep them to honor God, to love God, and to love others. Now yesterday at the conference, he wouldn't give you a list of habits of a healthy marriage. He didn't do that. Which is okay, because I appreciate what he did do. He covered trusting in Jesus. He covered trusting in Jesus as the sufficient God of the universe and God of your life and God of your marriage. I think that's vastly important. But I also want to do something for you. I also want to end this uh, sermon series by giving you a few practical relationship goals and a few habits that you can take to keep those goals. These are not all exclusive. These are not exhaustive. There are a million others. Some of these might not even be pertinent to the relationships that you have. Some others might be more pertinent, but I want to give these to you today. And they are not up here, so you can just pick and choose, or you can write all of these. The first is this. Develop communication. That is a generic goal. Develop communication. And at every layer of the onion, you want to develop these goals more. If you want to say develop communication, and that's my overarching title, and then I want to have a subtitle, what does that look like? And then I want to have habits under that. I mean, honestly, you would do well for you and your spouse, for other relationships that you have that you want to grow, for your work life. You would do well to write this out like you were about to write a research paper. I'm not kidding you. To write an outline of what it looks like to be a successful husband, successful wife, a successful family. So you write this outline. You start with your, 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 your title you know, or your, your, your topic, developing companionship. And then you sort of have these subtopics under there. And then ways to accomplish these things. One of the greatest goals, friends, you can make in your marriage is to develop companionship. Friendship, folks, is irreplaceable in life. Aren't things more fun with friends? Aren't they more fun with friends than they are with acquaintances and non-friends? 
Like if we get around a bunch of people that we like and we're okay with, we have a good time. If we get around a bunch of people we don't like and we're expected to have a good time, it's a lot harder to have a good time. If we get around people we love, we can do whatever we want within the reason of godliness without judgment, without feeling embarrassed. Well, I mean, at least that's the way it is for me. Maybe it's not that way for normal people. Isn't it more fun to do things with friends? Folks, we need to remember this important little lesson that our spouse was first our friend before they were our lover. They were the ones who, cracked in, who we cracked inside jokes with before we were married, who we had this look, and maybe you still do, you had this look, you could look across the room and you knew what they were saying or you knew what roundabout they were saying. Somebody said something you completely disagree with and you don't have to raise your hand and say, um, you're wrong. You just kind of give the side eye to your spouse and they're already looking at you smiling. They're your buddy. They're your friend. And we can't forget, friends, that companionship is a great aspect, a key aspect of a fruitful, any relationship, but especially a marriage. They were friend before they were mommy and daddy. They were friend before they were wife. They were friend before they were homemaker. They were friend before they were provider. They were friend. And we need to reach back and grab some of that. So what are some habits that you can develop, you can use to develop friendship and companionship? I think one habit you can do, and you, can, you need to develop on this on your own, is pick a time each day where you choose your spouse over every other person in the world. Pick it, I'm serious, every day. If you remember what I said about my goal yesterday, I had a goal to work out 90 days in a row. I worked out 45 days in a row, and I thought I was successful. Because it's not necessarily about reaching that goal every time. It's about reaching further than you did yesterday. Make, make a goal to put your wife above every other human in the world, husband. Wife, make a goal to put your, wife, uh, to put your husband above your children every day. To put your husband above every other person for a moment or in some thought, or in some gift, or in some note, or in something of that nature. And I know if you have more than two or three kids, you're thinking, there is no way. But there is. I mean, remember when they actually, had, back in the day, when they weren't just homeschooled to have biblical names, back in the day when they actually had Bible names in the Bible, they had like 30 kids, and there's still some pretty fruitful relationships that we see. There's still some love. There's still some longing and some seeking. You were a friend first. So do friendly things. Pick a time each day where you give a few moments of concerted effort to your spouse. Some of the most friendly things that you can do is just give of yourself. Give gifts that don't cost so much or cost anything. Isn't that something friends do? I don't know. I'm not a very good friend, but I know friends have done it to me. Friends have done it to me. Friends have given me gifts, and they thought of me first. And I'm just, out. they'll do something, and I'm like, I wasn't even thinking of that, and you were. Surprise, husband, surprise your wife with your thoughtfulness, 
Wife, surprise your husband with your thoughtfulness and do it every day and make your, give yourself some visual cue to remind yourself to do it. Send a fun and encouraging text for no reason. Write notes. Pick some flowers. Uplift them publicly. Take a burden away from them in some way. Do something to be a friend. You think, well, this is just, you might be thinking, if you're like me a little bit, you might be thinking this is corny. But guess what? You don't have any trouble sending a text that derides them. You don't have any trouble saying something that tears them down, especially if you feel like you're the person that's wronged, been wronged. Work hard to be kind. Work hard to be a friend. Develop communication. Work on communication. That's the second one. From the small and mundane to the big and a full of conflict, you have no room to be lazy in communication. It will be one of the single most destroying aspects of your relationship, laziness in communication. Here are a few habits. If you are like me, you might need to hear hear this. Hear this. There are especially some people that are like me that need to hear this. If you are like me, you might need to spend an entire conversation that is just about your spouse. Respond, communicate, but the conversation might need to be just about your spouse. Their wants, their needs, their problems, their struggles. Husbands, you don't have to fix it. Just listen. Just work through it. Make time. Listen. Make time every day, wife. Make time every day, husband, to find out what is on the mind of your spouse. Now, all the wives are like, yes. And some of the husbands are like, dude, you are getting me into conversations that I want. Listen, after a long day, these, this, is, this is what I want my answers to be. I want my answers to be, hmm, hmm, yeah, hmm. Those are what I want my answers to be. I don't treat my friends like that. Why would I treat my wife like that? My friend calls me or texts me most of the time. Sorry for last night, Cody. I answer their text. My friend calls me or texts me. I answer their text. My wife asks me a question. You know what? I put just a little bit of effort and just a little bit of energy into responding to her like a human. She is a human being, husband. Wife, he is a human being. And if you treat them as any less, you are you are abandoning the faith, at least for a moment. Develop communication. Husbands, don't be afraid to do this. I've done this. I have Googled diagnostic questions to ask my wife for a date night. And I put them in my phone, and every time she would turn away a little bit, I'd be like, okay, so tell me about a memory of your childhood that I don't know about. That is such a thoughtful question, Bryce. Well, you know. This is one time, friends, where plagiarism is okay. (laughs) Don't let them know you did it in that moment. It takes away from it a little bit. It's okay to Google. You don't know everything. Heck, most of you are still trying to figure out, you know, where to put your clothes after you take them off. Most of us are still trying to figure out where to put our toothbrushes and toothpaste. You don't know everything. Use the resources you have to be a better husband. This is going to be sort of very rigid and formal, the way I'm going to say this, but you can word this however you want. Instead of just saying, how was your day, wife? Why don't you ask about specific challenges they may have faced that day? You ask me how my day is, guess what my answer is going to be? Just say it. 
Fine. Good. That's my answer. Good. It's all right. One of those two answers. You ask me if there's a specific challenge I face that day, I'm like, oh my gosh. One of my helpers, I gave him a gallon of paint and another gallon of paint, and I told him to paint this room this color, and I come back, and the bathroom is the completely wrong color. This has happened. Talk about your day, as sorry as it was, and as tired as you are. Talk about your worries. Talk about your hopes. Talk about your fears. For a time, friends, in this day, here's a good habit. Disconnect from all electronics every day for a moment to have an uninhibited conversation. Disconnect from all electronics every day for a moment to have an uninhibited conversation. Fight through the awkwardness and learn your spouse. We need to form daily habits of communication. Develop intimacy. Blake spoke enough about the physical side of this last week for at least a month, so I don't need to speak any more on this. But there is more to intimacy than just sex. There is that five to ten minutes after where your wife may need you to cuddle with her or hang around or talk. Friends, don't go straight to your phone after a moment of intimacy. Don't go straight to turning Netflix on. Spend some time breathing. Spend some time talking. There are sweet and gentle words that your spouse needs to hear that lead up to those things. Wife, there is a trust that your man needs. Things you do that make him feel like a man. Listen, I know that this is not cool in our society. It's patriarchal or whatever. It's toxic masculinity, whatever stupid word you want to use. But here's the deal. There is proven science that women, when you uplift your men, their testosterone builds. Their testosterone builds. And they are more likely to either do something stupid or act like a man. So husband, kiss your wife every day and at least passionately once a day. Tell her sweet things about her and, and they can have to do with her looks or they cannot have to do with her looks. Don't let a hint of another person into your relationship. Make romantic gestures every day. And if you run out of ideas... I'm going to uh, put roses on the ground. That was my phone because I'm on Google again. If you run out of ideas, use the resources you have. Guard yourself from porn or illicit TV or movies. Put securities in place so that you don't accept the leading compliments of another man or another woman. The quickest way to break intimacy is to allow someone else in the middle of your relationship. Develop intimacy and don't break it. Develop forgiveness. This one is easier said than done, but you can make habits to develop forgiveness. The first is practice empathy when you are wronged. Instead of when you're wronged, trying to say, this is how you wronged me. Think of how you've wronged others. Think of how you have hurt other people and how it made you feel. Try to converse about that as opposed to yelling about it. Here's one that you need to hear again if your personality is like me. Resolve to speak last and not first. That, hold on, that's, that came out wrong. You don't need the last word. You don't need the last word. Resolve to speak after your spouse has given her spiel or his spiel. 
You don't have to. If you're like me, you've already resolved to have the last word. So as you pray, pray daily. Remind yourself of the depth from which God saved you. We develop forgiveness by knowing a great God and knowing the depths of our sin and his ability to save us from that. You and your spouse are both friends, are both in need of never-ending and deep grace from God and from each other. And if all else fails, model what Jesus did. He literally died for those who killed him. Model what Jesus did in forgiveness. Friends, it's better to be taken it, not, not completely and not long term, but it's better to be taken advantage of by your spouse than to never trust your spouse. It's better to be taken advantage of here and there. I don't mean long term and I don't mean in, in vile or illegal ways. Develop a prayer life. Pray together Pray with your family. Pray for yourself and your goals and your habits. Prayer, pray for the way that you respond to your spouse. Pray that God would give you more romantic urgings. Pray that God would give you romantic urgings that your wife desires and not just you desire. And that your husband desires and not just you desire. And then develop a spirit of giving. Friends, some of the most successful and loving and God-honoring people I've known, some of the most successful people in marriage are people who serve together. People who do things together. They find a cause and they seek after it together. Now, you're not going to have the same passions. You're not always going to have the same passions. But I guarantee if you're married, there are probably some that you can have that are similar, that you can draw on together and that you can do together. Make church a family thing. Make church a God-honoring thing with your spouse. Be charitable. Couples who have a thing are happier. Couples who have a thing are happier. Couples who have a thing that is spiritually in-tuned are even happier. Serve others. Share in the joy and fun of glorifying God together. And then the third thing, and it's really quick, I promise... The reward of faithfulness is rich. Many people say they love. Many people claim steadfast love. But can you find that man? It's hard to find that person. But the reward for this type of faithfulness is rich. Look at verse 7. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. You may not come from a great spiritual home or have great parents, but if you are here, you likely have someone that you can point to that is this for you. Some spiritual parent, some spiritual friend. There have been some spiritual people in your life to come along your way that have helped you, that have assisted you, that have developed great trust in you. And through them, you have been blessed. I consider myself blessed because of the spiritual faithfulness of my family. The reward of faithfulness to God and to your word and to love is rich. It isn't just a feeling of blessing. But can you imagine with me for just a second these few more things? Can you imagine your children growing up and loving you and looking at you as their hero? 
Now, it may take some time. They may need to be an adult before that happens. I think at some point, like up in their childhood, they look at you and you're their hero. And then at some point, they lose that. It's okay. They're jerks at that point. And then after, they, after they're jerks for a little while, they become adults. And then they're adults again, and they gain it back. Can you imagine, friends, you're in your 20s right now, you're in your 30s. Can you imagine being in your 40s and 50s, and your child, your grown adult child is your hero? And instead of pointing to uh, Barack Obama or instead of pointing to a public figure and saying, be like that person, they say, be like your grandfather to their own children. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that would be like? Man, it's better than the houses you're building. It's better than the cars you're driving. It's better than the acknowledgement that you're getting at work. To be the hero to your kids and then subsequently your grandkids. And that's not for selfish reasons. If you're doing that kind of stuff, it's because you did something along the way to bring honor and glory to Jesus. Can you imagine the trust that's in that household? My dad and my mom, they do some goofy things sometimes, but you know what? There's not an ounce of trust that I've lost in them. Can you imagine the trust that's in the household where the dad and the mom are the best example in these children's lives? Can you imagine how these kids will grow up? Then I'm not saying that they will be completely immune from this, but they will grow up and they will be less likely to live in poverty. They will be less likely to need psychological counseling or pills. They will less, be less likely to drop out of school, less likely to be drug addicts, less likely to be unsuccessful. These are proven statistics where parents are the heroes in the home. The children function better. Can you imagine the trust in that household? But most importantly, most importantly, you increase the probability of your family. And I don't mean just like Ellie and Bennett and Emmeline and, and Millie. I forgot her name for a second. Millie. I, I, she's Emmeline number two a lot of the times. It just happens. Um, I, I don't mean just them. I mean their children. And I mean their children's children. Long after someone's visiting my gravestone, Long after someone's visiting my headstone, my family is still being impacted by what I'm doing today. You can build that kind of trust right now that develops goals and habits that changes the world. Blessed are the children of the person who lives in integrity. Pray with me. God, you're good and you have shown us how we need you and are desperate for you. You have shown us how we can, if we follow you, if we trust you, we can change our past, we can change our present, and we can change our future. We can't change our past. We can be reformed from our past. We can change our present, and we can change our future if we trust you, if we follow you, if we trust as Jesus in the way, the truth, in the life. Lord, would you help us to develop right now goals and habits that make us people that are trustworthy, that make us people that not only have bold proclamations of love, but actually follow through. We love you and we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.